Hey everyone, it's Raghu. I'm back with Mind Rolling. Got a special series coming up here, which is why I'm doing this little intro. And uh, well, December 22nd last year, Ramdas left us, and uh, I decided I wanted to get with a few of his friends, our friends, particularly Jack Cornfield, Sharon Salzberg, and Joseph Goldstein, and just chat with them about their experiences meeting Ramdas and throughout the years, the, uh, the, the ways in which they came together with him. Some beautiful stories. I'm so happy to share this. I really am. And so uh, first up is going to be Jack and then Sharon and then Joseph over three weeks, just over this period of time that Ramdas left last year. And that's my little uh, commemoration uh, on mind rolling. But also, I want to let you know that on December 22nd at 3 p.m. Pacific time, we have uh, a program honoring Ramdas that's presented by Love Server Member Foundation and Neem Karoli Baba Hanuman Ashram in Taos. And uh, it is a benefit to support the Taos Ashram as they are closed and uh, really could use the support. So all donations that you make will go exclusively to the ashram in Taos. So this program will have several movies. One is this uh, wonderful film called Evolution of a Yogi that was done in the late 60s into 1970 at Ramdas's father's farm in New Hampshire. Uh, and then we just finished a film called Moments of Joy and Wisdom. It's Ram Dass in Maui over the years, over these last 15, 16 years. Wonderful, poignant moments and a lot of moments with the people that he, uh, teachers and friends that he worked with over the years, many of whom uh, you have seen on Be Here Now Network and or heard on Be Here Now Podcast Network, as well as seen in various movies and other events that we have put on, uh, workshops and so on, on ramdas.org. And uh, it, it's, uh, it's you know, just really poignant vignettes of Ramdas in Maui. I think you're going to love it. Uh, I loved working on it. It uh, just brought me back into that enormous heart of Ramdas. Uh, so we have that. We have Krishnas is going to be doing some chanting and talking a little bit with me and Mirabai. Bush, and then we've got Rameshwar Das, who wrote this with Ramdas this wonderful memoir that's coming out on January 12th called Being Ramdas. Go to beingramdas.com, by the way, and please pre order the book. It'll help us a lot in terms of uh, making more of a presence, particularly on Amazon. Uh, and when you go to this site, you'll be able to see ex read excerpts and see wonderful pictures. There's some great little audio bits of Ramdas and a way in which to share your own experience with Ramdas over the years and what he meant to you. Uh, so uh, it's a wonderful website and um, happy to present this program. Now, the program, the Neem Karoli Baba movie, which it will end with, uh, is this great, great footage from India of Maharaji and different places that he was and interviews and so on, uh, done by Japna Tulsi. That will only be available a couple of days after following the, uh, the movie. 
uh, sorry, following the uh, program honoring Ramdas on the 22nd. The other uh, movies will be available uh, at least for a week or two. I'm not quite sure, but check in, make sure you're got your email address in ramdas.org where you get all this information and invites to all of the wonderful offerings that the Love Server Member Foundation uh, brings to the table. So here we go. First up is Jack Cornfield, and then next week it'll be Sharon Salzberg's stories and then end with Joseph Goldstein. So happy to uh, share this with you. Thanks for being here. This is Mind Rolling on Be Here Now Network. Go to BeHereNowNetwork.com. Thank you. I was a hippie in college when I first heard of Ramdas. Of course, then he was traveling around with Timothy Leary as Richard Alpert and promoting LSD. I had gone out to San Francisco for the Summer of Love and prior to that had been exploring the psychedelic world. I remember going to the Psychedelic Information Center on Bow Street, two blocks off of Harvard Yard, where Lisa Bieberman, who had been a student at Brandeis, um, offered LSD to all who wanted to explore based on Ramdas and Tim's work. I went up to the second floor and she opened a refrigerator, put out a little, pulled out a little jar and a big box of sugar cubes and said, how many people do you want to turn on? <laughs> so I'd heard about Ram Dass and I might have even seen him with Tim at some point. Uh, but that was not the real meeting with him. Uh, after my time in the summer of love, I went to be a Buddhist, to do uh, work um, on medical teams in the Peace Corps in Thailand and then become a Buddhist monk for some years. And I returned in 1972 and was living in a, an apartment in um, the Boston area with one of my brothers and heard that there was supposed to be a Dharma festival. It was probably 1973 or late 72. It was 74. It, was, it wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't right four. I was, was I was there too. It was, it was a year before in Europa. Uh-huh. So I 73, went, right. I yeah. went to the Dharma festival and I had read Be Here Now and it meant so much to me like it did to so many millions of people. In fact, over the years, um, traveling with Ramdas as I did, uh, I saw people come up to him decade after decade, hold his hand and say, Ramdas, you changed my life. And it was the most beautiful thing to see, be here now, transform the culture, but it also transformed the hearts of so many individual beings and opened their minds to possibility. So I was mesmerized by Ramdas's gift of transmitting and teaching in the way that he did. And I was asked if this guy from India, some tall, lanky guy who needed a place to stay, could stay in an extra bed in my apartment. It happened to be Joseph Goldstein. So we connected a little bit there, but not a lot, because it was such a big scene around the Dharma Festival. Then I had started graduate school in psychology, 
and went to the uh, to the meeting of the Massachusetts Psychological Association, wanting myself to be a, a, a real psychologist. And at the meeting, there was a a presentation on Buddhist psychology. When I entered the room, Dan Goleman, who was a graduate student at Harvard at that time, had projected onto the wall the big Tibetan wheel of birth and death with all the, mm-hmm. the, the demons and deities and was explaining that it wasn't some shamanic icon, but it was really a sophisticated psychological map about how we move through states of consciousness and liberate the heart. I talked to Dan after that and told him that I'd just gotten out of the Buddhist monastery. It's a little bit like saying you've just gotten out of prison or something. <laughs> he laughed and said, you have to come over and meet our, meet our tribe, our people. So I went to David and Mary McClellan's house. David McClellan, uh, David and Mary were this beautiful family of Quakers, many children and a huge house. And David was the uh, head of the Department of Social Psychology at Harvard. He had both hired and fired Ramdas, but we're still very close friends with him. And at David's house, I met Ramdas again personally. And in fact, it became on the, it was this huge yellow house at the top of what had been called Gallows Hills in Gallows Hill in Cambridge, um, where Mirabai and Krishna lived, where, um, you know, uh, Dan Goldman and, and uh, Anasuya, where a whole number of people who were followers of Maharaja in India lived at times. Um, and they had soirees in which they would invite you know, Chogyam Trumpa Rinpoche or Krishnamurti or, you know, and Ramdas and others. And I became part of that group and got to know both Ramdas and Chogyam Trumpa Rinpoche. Now, at some point in the year that followed, I was there when Chogyam Trumpa was around. Um, he was drinking as usual. Um, and I had showed him the manuscript that became my book, Living Buddhist Masters, about the, the alive teachings in Theravada Buddhism, mm. because there had been very little published about the contemporary meditation tradition of mindfulness and vipassana. Mostly it was the old dry text. And he became excited and said, we're starting a Buddhist university next year. Would you come and teach, be the representative for Theravada Buddhism? Mm. Um, and drunk or not, I, I accept it. So uh, that became the beginning of a, of a great journey. And I went, to Naropa, I went to Naropa in the summer of 1974. I was still in graduate school and finishing up a PhD. And as I was teaching my courses in Theravada Buddhism, uh, in Vipassana, in um, the Abhidharma, and so forth, in the apartment next door to me was Joseph Goldstein and Sharon Salzberg and a whole crew of others. I had a lovely, elegant, simple apartment for myself, quite zen and just how I liked it, quiet. Joseph, who'd come from India, 
was there in Indian style and 12 of his friends from Bodh Gaya and parts of India were all sleeping on the floor. We were from different cultures, different Dharma cultures at that moment, but we became very good friends, Joseph and Sharon and I, when we realized we were teaching the same thing. And with it, Ramdas became part, for me, became part of the family that I felt much more deeply connected to. Yeah. At that first summer at Naropa, which is celebrated, all those 2,000 people, the classes alternated um, on Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Ramdas would teach in opening the heart and kirtan and uh, love and the devotion of Maharaji. Um, and people were getting transformed by the beautiful transmission and the amazing stories. And that, of course, has now become that wonderful book and the, the series of talks on the yogas of the Bhagavad Gita. I was completely taken by him, by the skill and mastery of his teaching and his storytelling and his weaving together of um, philosophy and great masters and psychology and all the things that he, in his brilliance, learned how to weave, but mostly it was his presence. And he invited Joseph and I to actually teach one of those classes in front of these 2,000 people. On the alternate nights, on Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday, Chogyam Trumpa would sit up there in a suit with a tie, unlike the rest of the hippies, and a very large container of sake, which he would, you know, down in big drafts in his glass, and talk quite formally about the Dharma and the Buddhist teachings of suffering and getting real with life, and not just dancing around and making lovey-dovey, but seeing the way things really are. Mm. And he was also a genius, a linguistic genius, a cultural genius. Yes, he had many problems as an alcoholic and a womanizer and all of these other things. Um, but he was also a tremendously gifted inspiration. And people were swinging back and forth. Um, swinging isn't the right word. There were <laughs> it's kind of the right word. being dragged back and forth. Mm by open-hearted love and, mm, and mm. grace on one night and the reality of old age, sickness and death, the nature of the mind, uncontrollable, the way the world really is and the Buddhist noble teachings of suffering, not so much on the end of suffering that came later, <laughs> um, but it was all very compelling. And the practices that Chogyam Trumpa taught were also really deep and powerful. So we became part of a, a group together, and after that evening, um, I mean, sorry, after that uh, summer, Joseph and Sharon and I began to teach retreats, and that was the beginning of our, you know, 50-year collaboration. Um, but the same, by the same token, Ramdas, who had been with and admired Joseph in Bodh Gaya, admired Joseph's dedication and depth, and Sharon as well, um, was deeply respectful of the Vipassana retreats and the mindfulness training. Um, and I, are you interviewing Joseph for the book, I'm assuming? Yeah, I haven't gotten to him yet, but yes. Yeah, because he'll tell you the kind of um, mystical story of how he ended up teaching with Ramdas at Naropa, mm. going to the bathrooms in Berkeley and no restaurant would let him. You know that story, maybe. 
maybe no. you don't. Well, no. you have to oh, ask. Great. Him. All right. Well, Joseph will tell. He, yeah. he came back and, you know, they'd been together in India and he never got on the bus. Everybody else got on the bus to see Maharashi. Yeah. And Joseph was just sitting and walking yeah, and yeah, yeah. his practice. But anyway, he didn't know what he was going to do in 74 when he came back again. He came to the Dharma Festival in 73 to see his mother and then went back to India. In 74, he was just in California with some old Indian friends, um, John Travis and others. And um, they were in Berkeley and he had to, he had to pee. And he went in a restaurant to use the bathroom and they said, no, you got to buy your lunch. He wasn't hungry. So he walked out. He went into a second restaurant. They wouldn't let him use the bathroom. He walked into the third restaurant and there was Ramdas sitting there. <laughs> and Ramdas said, I'm about to go teach at this Buddhist university in Europa and I need someone to lead the meditation section for these 2000 people. Would you come? So oh, Joseph yeah. will tell you the rest of the story. Yeah, yeah, that's but great. It's, it's one worthy yeah, of having. Actually, yeah, I don't know it. That's great. Really great. At Naropa, in addition to holding his class with Kirtan, with um, the extraordinary breadth of teachings of the Bhagavad Gita and bringing it alive with the most intimate stories of both his own life and that, that, those of others woven with the ancient Indian teachings, Ramdas also helped create a series of rituals that brought the field of practice that we knew from our time in Asia there. And one of the uh, most powerful events of that was a full moon in July, I guess it was, it was 1974, partway through the class. It was some great Hindu holiday like Guru Purnima Day. I'm not sure which day it was. And so um, Ramdas invited the class to go out to this huge field outside of Boulder where you could see the whole wall of the Rocky Mountains rising in the mm -hmm. moonlight from that plain as you do. And they built a huge Kali bonfire, a giant Kali bonfire there were people like Krishnadas and others chanting and singing, people dancing, microphones and teaching. And Ramdas invited people as one of the practices that was there to write down things that they needed to die to, to let go of, to mm. transcend, mm. and to go through a ritual to burn them in the Kali fire. But before they could do that, he was in a little tent as the priest that he was, still somewhat dressed in white. And they filed by him one at a time privately, and he would listen to whatever it was that they had to let go of. And it was a kind of, it was a remarkable scene because here was Ramdas, the kind of great public figure, now in his role as confessor priest, if you will, Hindu confessor priest. Um, and people walked out of there with tears in their eyes, you know, and then they went and they threw things in the bonfire. Later, I asked Ramdas, I said, so what were all these people telling you? Yeah. And he said there were many stories, mostly about families and a lot about shame and sexuality. Those were some of the big themes. Mm -hmm. So Ramdas created this enormous field. When Naropa was finished... He, uh, I next saw him when he attended the first retreat that Joseph Goldstein and I taught on the East Coast. 
Joseph and Sharon had taught a retreat or two in California, as had I, separately in 1974 after Naropa. And then Joseph and I joined force to lead a retreat at a Boy Scout camp in Western Massachusetts for two weeks. And that retreat was attended by Ram Dass, by John Kabat-Zinn and Larry oh. Rosenberg, by Trudy Goodman, I think by Dan Goldman, Mark Epstein. Some wow. of the same posse of people came yes. to our first retreat. Yeah. Wow. And I felt very moved that Ram Dass would put himself in the role of a student mm. and sit and practice tremendously sincerely. And he would come and have the teacher meetings with me as with Joseph and, and ask his Dharma questions about how to practice and how to make this deep, long retreat really open to vastness. Now, we both shared the background of psychedelics. So not only, even though we didn't talk about it much at the retreat, not only was he on the wavelength of the Vipassana, and I, having been a monk, had had a lot of the devotional practice that he loved, but also both of us had had our minds truly opened in extraordinary ways to the vastness of mystery, to the direct experience that consciousness itself is the field from which everything is born and that that's who we really are. And we knew that together. I recognize it in him and whatever he recognized in me, we had a, a beautiful kind of meeting. Now, what was also true later on, um, this isn't quite in sequence, so maybe it comes later. I'll, st I'll stay chronological. All right. So after, uh, after that, um, when we started the meditation center. Oh, okay. So the next thing that happened after that retreat is I heard about Ramdas from all the friends at David McClellan's had found his guru again in a basement in uh, New York with these two women, Joya and Hilda, who purported to be psychic in some way and see the old man in the blanket in the basement. And I feel at that time, Ramdas was so brokenhearted um, with the loss of his guru, even though he knew his guru couldn't go anywhere and all at the very highest level, it was still an enormous loss for the community. And Ramdas wanted some connection, some other connection. So he was um, entranced and, as he later wrote, snookered, you know, by it. Um, and I remember driving up to New Hampshire where he was staying at his father's house and sitting down because um, I'd heard just a snippet of this. And he told me the whole story wide eyed and there's Joy and there's Maharaji. She sees the old guy in the bank in the basement and he was completely smitten by it. And then, of course, I was a little suspicious because it's partly my my nature. <laughs> <laughs> and um, then, of course, after some months we saw the cover of whatever it was, New Age magazine yeah, with Ram Dass, yeah, yeah. egg on egg on his beard. Yeah, yeah. But he and I had made a made a pretty lovely connection. Then he would come periodically in the next year or two or three to take retreats at Insight Meditation Society in Barrie. Um, in a very genuine way, I remember what room he had, the room with the far end with the view of the forest, kind of keeping himself quiet. And 
he was quite dedicated in his practice, although he added his own devotional elements, which were understandable. And the image I have of Ramdas practicing at IMS, as you enter the retreat center, um, on the left, there is what had been a, a ballroom or a beautiful uh, um, room next to the meditation hall when this was a giant mansion before it was mm. built out further to be the retreats, the, the retreat center. And that was used, one of the spaces we used for walking meditation. And at the far end of the room, the Fathers of the Blessed Sacrament from whom we bought this retreat center had taken this mansion and expanded it further. And, and there were two stained glass windows just before you entered the meditation hall. One of them was a stained glass of Mary and the other was a stained glass of Jesus with one of his disciples resting his head on Jesus's shoulder. And every time I would go into the meditation hall, I would see Ramdas walking slowly and mindfully back and forth between those windows. I asked Ramdas later why he chose that spot. And he laughed, he said, it's the only place in the building that has any juice in it, any heart. <laughs> you Vipassana people are so dry. <laughs> <laughs> and we laughed about that. He was also um, wrestling as one must in the kind of position that he had of being this cultural icon and really, uh, and, and his teachings being life-saving for so many people, being a lifesaver, that whenever he would go out, people would glom, would would um, grasp after him, accost him. So I remember going on in a period where Ramdas had this blonde curly wig that he would put on, <laughs> you know, and dress in a very different way, not in his Ramdas outfit, just so he could go and have dinner with us and not be, you know, have everybody come <laughs> up to the table and, and want oh, something cool. from Ramdas. I told him after a couple of years that I was getting better at teaching because I saw him as such a master and I was learning the art and he was a mentor in that way. And I said, I've gotten quite good at reading the room and I can tell who are the beginners and who are in the middle and those who have a deep practice. And I try to make something that I teach for each group so they all get something of benefit. And Ramdas paused as he always did, took a breath and smiled and you knew something was gonna come out then. And he said, oh yeah, he said, and then when you get really good, you can say something that's so simple and deep and true that it resonates on all those levels at once. Mm -hmm. And this was a master teacher describing this. It's like when I go on retreat, many times I bring Zen Mind, Beginner's Mind from Suzuki Roshi. Mm -hmm. It's such a simple book. And no matter how deep I go, I can open the page and Suzuki Roshi is speaking to me. There, yeah. So then I also taught with Ramdas at Esalen together with Stan Groff and Joseph Campbell and uh, Christina Groff and others, Joan Halifax, when she was married to Stan Groff, she was Joan Groff for a while. And, and he was part of that circle and that circus as well, mm -hmm. you know, 
And that was a way that we could put together our deep Buddhist Hindu roots and, and vision with the psychedelic world that had been so important to open our hearts and minds as well. Um, and all I can say is, yes, we continued to do those substances <laughs> and sit in the baths and, and, mm. and look at the cosmos from the oh. edge of the Pacific Ocean and watch Joseph Campbell unpack the mysteries of the, um, of the deep teachings in 24 different languages and cultures from around the world. Um, and Stan and Stan Groff and Ramdas have these beautiful dialogues together about the nature of consciousness and what we really are. And I was honored to be able to be in those dialogues and part of them. Wow. Um, now it's also true, uh, is through all of this, I saw Ramdas not just as a master teacher and an extraordinary storyteller, but more than anything, he was able to open his heart so that other people's hearts would open. It's like the image of Hanuman. I mean, there's ones in the Christian tradition as well where you see the beating heart of Jesus. But those images of Hanuman where his hands are pulling his chest open and you see his heart. Ramdas had the, I won't call it the magic or the city. Um, I, I want to say something more respectful than that. Um, he had a foundation of love in spite of what other other things that he had, a foundation of love and connection to the, to the divine source of love that allowed him to open himself and with his golden words and stories and presence to actually open the hearts of those around him. And that, um, that was part of his great power. But the other part of his great power was his amazing detachment. And that detachment came from a vast perspective from Maharaji, where he learned that the universe was not what he thought it was and he wasn't who he thought he was. He'd learned a lot of that from LSD as well. There's no question about that. He knew that he wasn't the roles and all those things. That was already in Ramdas's worldview. Um, and I believe that his work in psychedelics had brought him to a place of some profound witnessing of a detachment to see the game of life. But it was, uh, or and, um, it was multiplied after he was with Maharaji, as if he had access through that great heart of his and Maharaji's extraordinary consciousness to really see the world in its churnings of the years and ages and eons and the dance, the cosmic dance as he wrote, The Only Dance There Is. And with these two qualities, I watched Ramdas over the years meet with people, not just teach in large groups, but meet with people and transmit the vastness and detachment 
and the ocean of love simultaneously. So that someone who would come who was in great trouble and Ramdas would get them to tell that, let them get them to tell the story because he knew that stories were important. And then he would laugh and say, that's a good one. That's a good drama. And all of a sudden you'd feel this vast detachment and his eyes would soften and he'd say only love, you know, he would communicate something that opened your heart wherever you were. And so profoundly that people would come whose partner was dying of cancer or whose child had died or had gone through some other grave or huge change in their life. And Ramdas would meet them where they were, love them so they felt that love was possible again and also give them this vast perspective to say, we're in this dance, you know, for a thousand eons and, and um, take a breath, you know, it was somebody died, it was their time. Actually, I'll tell another tiny story. So Trudy and I were staying at Ramdas's, and this is sort of skipping ahead, um, in the blue room off the main temple room there. And we had just gotten in, and Ramdas had been working with the family of someone whose child had died, and was telling us about it. And we heard the story of how at some point, in order to communicate this bigger perspective, he had said, you know, not only was there grief and love and all the parts that awaken and are touched by that, he said, but karmically, you have to understand it was his time. And there was something so wise and reassuring that it's not up to us. We have a certain length of life. Um, the fates are spinning the cords and then they cut them. And it's not up to us how long we have, but we have a certain time to do the karmic work of an incarnation. So Trudy and I went into the blue room, put our bags down and then looked over by the wall. And there was a large dead cockroach there lying there it's the tropics it's hawaii there are big bugs there and sometimes they also get offed when people don't want them running around the house so there it was mm. trudy and i looked at each other before i picked it up and i looked at her and i said it was its time <laughs> trudy burst out in laughter and then through the closed door we hear around us what are you two laughing about in there <laughs> <laughs> So we brought the cockroach out and said, Ramdas, it was its time. And we all <laughs> broke out in laughter. <laughs> so Ramdas also helped Joseph and Sharon and myself 10 years after the founding of IMS when I got married um, and had a child and moved to California to start Spirit Rock. And part of it happened because I was building a new family and wanted to be at a place where there was room to do that and couldn't imagine raising a child at a silent retreat center. But also Joseph and Sharon and I had had a hard time in a falling out over some differences about how we should move forward in our teaching and the visiting teachers that were coming and, and so forth. 
And it was very painful. It was kind of a divorce because we'd been like three married people for a while in our travels and teaching. Um, and after a year of being in California and feeling that it was quite unresolved, I think it was my idea, but we called Ramdas and said, would you help us? So then we went, he came to, I think it was a retreat that Joseph or I were teaching in California in Santa Rosa, I believe, and basically did divorce counseling <laughs> <laughs> for us. Um, and he did it with so much respect and you know, appreciation for that it was a tremendously healing moment um, for, for all of us. Mm. Now, Ramdas, um, had a little attitude about me um, and my style of teaching that threaded through our years, lots of love, but a little bit of an attitude because I was so um, committed to including the wisdom of Western psychology in the teaching of the best of Western trauma work because the teachings don't make it so explicit of the best of relational therapeutic work, of the best mm -hmm. of some of the things that I'd learned as a psychologist. And he looked down on it. He put up his nose a little bit. He said, oh God, I learned that psychology stuff yeah. at Stanford and Harvard. Yeah. Why are you still mired in that? So at one point, um, we sat down together and I heard him in our conversation, that little kind of subtle, judgment or put down. And I said, let's talk about this, Rombers. I want to explain something to you. And he said, okay. I said, you learned uh, psychology. You learned as a psychologist at Stanford and at Harvard in your training. And it helped you in certain ways, but it was really limited. And then you, then you went to India, you met Maharaji, you undertook the whole spiritual journey along with the LSD and you found something so much larger. And so you wonder, why am I doing this? And I said, Ramdas, you have to understand that our paths are backward in this way. I went into the Buddhist monastery for some years and did really deep training over there. And then I came back after having done that and found that there were whole areas of my life that were uncooked and untouched. As soon as I got in an intimate relationship with a woman, I realized that, well, I've learned some very good mindfulness and compassion, deep things and vastness in the monastery. Nobody taught me how to have a good <laughs> And I needed therapy, mm. you know. And then, you know, I was dealing with the trauma of my family of origin, of my father who was brilliant, but also paranoid and violent, a wife a batterer and a violent person. Um, and while I had worked some of that out in the forgiveness practices in the monastery, I still didn't know how to deal with my anger and other people. I, I'd, inter I'd suppressed all that stuff. And I said, Ramdas, I learned a lot from Reikian therapy and from you know, the inner workings and the way. I said, I needed somebody to sit with me week after week and help unlayer the things that were held that weren't touched in the meditation and they weren't touched in some way because they weren't evoked in that in, in India or, or in Thailand or Burma. Um, and then we came to an understanding. He said, oh, okay, I get it. 
I get it. We just had, we had just come from a different place. And of course, Ramdas used the understandings that he had from his psychological training. Um, it's part of what made him as well-rounded and and um, and remarkably powerful as a teacher in the intimate ways that he was, because he could draw on all these parts. But he he didn't understand for a while that we'd actually gone at it in a in a different order. And once he did, that that sort of helped clear that up. Now, when he was living in Marin, of course, I would visit him and you know, see Larry Brilliant or see when he was living with Peter and various people like that. And then he had his stroke. And I was, um, well, I could tell one little tiny story right before that. Um, one other scene that I can mention, but it may not be right for this, is that our dear friend Angie Terriot, who was a, a, uh, very dedicated student of Buddhist teachings and spiritual things had become, her husband was the publisher and owner of the San Francisco Chronicle and she had this huge home on Pacific Heights. And Angie had gotten close to Carlos Castaneda and the witches, the group of women that were around him. Um, and she invited Carlos and some of the witches for a soiree in her Pacific Heights grand living room. So here's Carlos in a <clears throat> elegantly tailored Italian silk suit, you know, sitting at one end of the room. And then there's Ramdas and Fritjof Capra and, you know, um, Jerry Brown and, and me and um, uh, let's see, from the Grateful Dead, Mickey Hart, um, probably Gene Bolin coming, you know, it was yeah, everybody but Bob Dylan basically was there. <laughs> And Carlos went on and on. He was probably the only storyteller I know that was even better than Ramdas. He was really, it was just remarkable. And he would tell stories that you couldn't believe, but you couldn't not believe because he was so good at it. Anyway, well, I'll move on. That's, that may not, doesn't go in the chapter, but it's fun to remember. Um, and I could tell a lot about that, but it's not about Ramdas. It's more about Carlos. So Ramdas had the stroke. And I was devastated myself because I felt that he had been in many ways one of the most important spiritual friends and mentors and teachers and elders and colleagues in, in my life. Um, I went down to see him. I wanted to go to the hospital first. I drove down to Palo Alto. Um, but you couldn't go in. He was in the ICU and they said, it's only a 10% chance that he will even survive. And I was sitting there and making prayers and so forth. And then I went back and I had to teach at Spirit Rock that night. So um, instead of teaching, I led Kirtan. I'd never led Kirtan for a large group in my entire life, but I said, my beloved, dearest friend and mentor and teacher and colleague Ramdas, this has happened. And in his honor, I began Sri Ram Jai Ram Jai Jai Ram and led this kirtan, even though I don't have that much of a singing voice, but I did. I kept in touch day after day. And I learned that everyone felt the way that I did, who was of us who knew Ramdas, who were down at the hospital, that they wanted to do something for him 
But when somebody's in the ICU, you can't do anything for him except pray. But then something kind of magical happened. And I don't know whose idea it was. But one of the people who in the Sangha, Satsang there, who'd been part of Ramdas's amazing work already with Save a Foundation and with a social, social conscious business network and so forth, said, well, we, we can't help Ramdas directly, but people in this hospital don't know who he is. And so we have to do something about that. And they called Ben and Jerry's who were part of that, Ben and Jerry, uh, who are part of that social conscious business. And they called the, the woman who started the body shop and some of these other, and said, our beloved Ramdas is in the ICU. We don't even know if he's gonna make it. But the people caring for him have no idea who he is. And many of the caregivers um, were first generation immigrants from the Philippines or, you know, the Middle East or places like that. The next thing you know, trucks started pulling up to the hospital filled with uh, baskets of lotions and soap and unguents for every person on the staff there in honor of your care for, for our beloved Ramdas. And then Ben and Jerry's trucks pulled up and they disgorged enormous amounts of ice cream to everyone who would take it in honor of our beloved friend Ramdas that you are caring for so well. And it was a kind of karmic moment to see that the generosity and the big heartedness of Ramdas that was his truth, that was who this being was, was being enacted mm-hmm. by all those who loved him. It's like Thich Nhat Hanh saying um, to his community, um, you are me. He said, I don't, whether I'm here or not, it doesn't matter. You are me and I am you. And that's what you felt with this. It was, it was gorgeous. So then I went to visit him at the rehab hospital. And relatively early on, he could hardly speak a word. He was, you know, partly lying there, partly propped up and learning how to move his body again and had almost no words. And I brought to him a big picture of Ramana Maharshi, who I knew he loved, the great Indian sage, um, who taught with very few words and was often sitting there in silence with people. And I said to Ramdas, you're back with us. I'm, you know, I'm so grateful because I, I was seeing maybe for the first time after he got out of the ICU. And I said, and I brought this picture. It was one of those, that one where Ramana Maharshi gazes out with a, you know, an amazing, loving eyes. And I said, even if you can't teach with words, you can teach like Ramana. And Ramdas actually did have, I, said, I, I was wrong, he had a few words, they were halting and it took a little bit for them to come out. And I wondered how his brain was and he, he raised his hand and I had to wait a long time. And then he said, I'll trade you mm. one Ramana Maharshi for two Name Karoli Babas, like baseball cards. 
and I realized Ramdas still has it, you know, that that even with the state that he was in, that he could laugh and say, all right, you brought me Ramana and I'll give you a picture of Maharaji and we're just trading baseball cards. And it was it was a moment for me of tremendous joy to see that that wit and spirit and vision that he mm. carried was still available to him, even if the aphasia and the words were not there. So, all right, I'm going to go on to Hawaii now. After Ramdas moved to Hawaii, Trudy and I began to visit him and also to teach at the uh, Love, Serve, Remember retreats, um, which was really an honor and and, uh, absolutely... um, yeah, it was one of the high points of my uh, Trudy in my year because we got to spend time with Ramdas and with a with the community of people that we loved. And what happened as we went to those retreats and we got to stay at the house and hang out with Ramdas, Trudy, who had not known him well, and Ramdas got very close because she's just a lover. And he was into people who were lovers, lovers of God, lovers of life. And she had a great, she would tease him. She had a great sense of humor. Um, And he and I would talk about all kinds of things that felt, because we had such a long history, um, that felt very, very beautiful. And then I watched him as people would visit and he would meet and work with them. And they would come to be with the guru, the master. Um, And they would walk in in one state and they would walk out changed. Um, and it was as if there was a field of um, vastness and wisdom um, and detachment woven together with the fabric of tremendous compassion for everybody that came in. And um, my favorite moment in the memorials that happened after Ramdas died was when Krishnadas said in San Francisco um, that Ramdas became the person we thought he was when we first met him, you know, because he was already so remarkable on stage, but he was, as he openly admitted, still a bit uncooked in certain areas of his life and so forth. But he became in those years in Hawaii more and more and more transparent to love, more and more settled in himself in just being and being love. And of course he talked all the time about loving everything and everybody in that huge altar that had Dick Cheney and Donald Trump and you know all the great saints of the world surrounding them and you know learning to love <laughs> them all. Um, mm-hmm. One of the afternoons that we were there, um, Roland, Fisher is the name from Johns Hopkins, who's been doing the LST research, came. Mm -hmm. And Roland had been, is, a really straight-laced and highly regarded professor of biochemistry and, and medicine at Johns Hopkins, who had begun to research psilocybin and other substances, had never even taken it. Um, and he's part of this whole revival movement to start to use psychedelics in a way with a scientific backing of it. 
And Roland is a gentleman, just a beautiful and, and uh, lovely guy who's probably 20 years younger than Ramdas. If Ramdas was in his mid 80s, Roland was in his mid 60s. And Roland was telling him about what it was like to give mushrooms or psilocybin or other substances to people and how much it changed their lives and how moved he was by it. He had no idea. And that he was giving it to cancer patients or he was giving it to clergy or... And Ramdas started to tell him the early stories from the days with Tim at Harvard and the Good Friday experiment and what happened when they gave it to this kind of population, you know, clergy or the, what they happened when they gave it to people who were, you know, in crisis. Um, and then he asked Roland, so how, what, are, what do you understand? How, how do you understand this working? And Roland said, with all the many measures we're using, paper and pencil, psychological tests, EEG, EK, everything, he said, the, the strongest measure of how people's lives are changed, and this happens for three quarters of them, is if they have a mystical experience. And they both just stopped and looked at each other. And it was a kind of a transmission from an elder to a younger elder, a transmission of love and understanding that was so beautiful. And Roland had by then taken, tried the um, mushroom, so he knew what he was kind of now offering to people. But I just felt the privilege to sit on the side, Trudy and I together, and see kind of, in Zen they call it the transmission of the lamp, the handing off of the, the lamp of understanding that it started 50, 60 years before into a different generation. So Ramdas mm. married Trudy and I. We asked if he would do that, and he loved it. It just made him very happy to do that. Um, and we had a double, a kind of two-part wedding, one down at the beach where Ramdas would swim. He wasn't there at that part of the wedding, but wait. Oh, yes, he was. We, yeah, we had, we had a part at the wedding, and Trudy had gotten two wedding gowns, one a kind of elegant silk one and another one that was also quite elegant, but waterproof. And so we went <laughs> into the ocean. When Ramdas goes in the ocean with his wheelchair and swims out <laughs> to the boy and yells, sings, oh, boy, oh, boy, oh, boy, and oh, joy, oh, joy, oh, joy. So when that happened, then Trudy and I, in our wedding outfits, my black tie, <laughs> jumped into the water and swam with Ramdas and came back, you know, and the, the sangha around it. It was really special. We had had our, the other part of our ceremony was private in his garden with just Ramdas and Dasima and ourselves. And um, he made this very tender and sweet ceremony for us. And then at one point, um, he said to Trudy, so how, what should I call you? Is this husband and wife? And Trudy said, I really want a husband, but I don't want to be a wife. In fact, she said, I'd like to have a wife. Most of us would. She said, the word wife seems to <laughs> that carry the, you know, the connotation of somebody serving someone else. And, and Rhonda said, so what should I call you? And then I said, Ramdas, how about if we do it this way? I now um, declare you husband and Trudy. And he, we all laughed. 
So he did our, our vows and he said something like, till death do you part. And Trudy said, no. She said, lifetime after lifetime. At which mm. point I blanched. I turned white. I stepped back. And I said, Trudy, <laughs> how about one life at a time? Ramdas <laughs> loved it. He was, we were all, we were all mm. just having so much fun. Mm. At the same time, Ram Das had enormous pain in his body at times. His body became more and more of a wreck. He had a series of infections and his foot swelled in his back and I could just go into the litany. And, you know, Trudy would ask him, Ram Das, are you in pain? Because she became so close to him. And he would say, yes. And she'd say, how are you doing? He said, it's just pain. It's not me, you know. But there was some way in which he, he had so... He had so much, he had so transcended the body being Ramdas that he was able to hang out for all those years, those last years, in a lot of sickness and a tremendous amount of pain and keep not only a clear consciousness often, but an amazing spirit, you know, and when he would swim, he would laugh and we'd all go out to eat and he would be the, you know, he would be the maestro of this orchestrating this whole satsang around him and so forth. And anything good would happen or any, somebody say something sweet and he would go, Oh, yum, yum, yum. And just hold his heart because it was a, it was a, an expression of love. And so the last thing I want to talk about is the final retreat uh, that was held. Open your heart in paradise retreat. Uh, just weeks before Ramdas died, and others will probably tell this story too. Um, my experience that that retreat was um, was deeply moving because with Ramdas's visible weakness and illness, while he wasn't there in body, it's as if the retreat tore open the gates between the worlds and we were in the realm that was birth and death and beyond so there were beautiful teachings that everyone did and krishnadas sang and people's hearts opened as they did in that retreat in so many ways and then the conclusion of the retreat ramdas was too weak to hand out the wrist malas with the thread from Maharaji's blanket that he had done every year and that he loved doing. He didn't want to give up loving people till the very last breath. And so instead they were in a basket and he placed his hands on them to bless them because he had very few words at that point. He could, he was weak and he couldn't speak very well, but he insisted on being wheeled out and being present. And then we all started to chant and the 350 or more people began to file by as they did on the last morning. And they received a mala given by one of the other teachers with Ramdas's blessings and Maharaji's thread. And then they stood in front of him and in India, there is a expression called the glance of mercy. When a teacher, a master looks at you with so much love that it undoes all the suffering and conditioning of your life. And you remember 
who you really are, that who you are is just love born into this body. When a child is born, the first thing that happens is that they're greeted with love almost always. And when someone's life is at the end and you hold their hand, it's a gesture of love. Beginning to end our life is love. That's who we really are, though we forget it. And with Ramdas's glance of mercy, people would pause in front of him and he would gaze at them with so much tenderness and beam so much love that they would stand and just weep one after another, after another, as if they were drunk with love. And that was not many weeks before he died. And I feel like it was part of his mm, magnificent last dance, to use a Castaneda word, that if you've led, if you as a spiritual warrior have gathered uh, the powers to let you move between the worlds, then when, when death comes, death will have to stop and pause and give you time for a last dance. And if you live your life magnificently, I'd like to look up the passage actually, then death has to stop, has to, and give you time for a magnificent last dance. And that's really what I, what I felt privileged to witness and feel and be a part of. And it was the perfect culmination of, you know, 45 years of loving this man as so many of us have. Mm. Well, there are some stories for you, Baba. Yeah, oh boy, oh boy, is it, huh? Oh. Oh. Um. I'm a little speechless right now. Thanks again. Really. Cool. really. All right. Thanks, Raghu. Thank Take you. care. Stay safe. Bye-bye. You too. Ram Ram. <laughs>